Hi, and welcome to a very short introduction. From ancient Greece to branding, globalisation to Homer, and logic to fashion, we'll showcase a concise and dynamic insight into a range of diverse topics for wherever your curiosity may lead you. So here is today's very short introduction. I'm Anthony Pereira, and I'm the author of Modern Brazil, a very short introduction. And my book, Modern Brazil, starts with a paradox, and that is that although Brazil is extremely well known in terms of its imagery, so if you think of Rio de Janeiro and the Christ the Redeemer statue, Sugarloaf Mountain, Copacabana Beach, or the beauty of the Amazon rainforest, for example, or the prominence of Brazilian national football team, or the carnival celebrations in Rio. So all of these things are very well known, but the country itself, I think, is is not necessarily well understood. It's a bit of an enigma. And that's partly because it's separated from the rest of the world by its language, the Portuguese language, and its geographic location. It's in the Southern Hemisphere in South America. So I try to peel away layers of national identity in Brazil. And I start how the organizing committee for the Rio Olympics chose to depict Brazil in the opening ceremony of the 2016 Olympic Games, which were the first Olympic Games to take place in South America. And three of the themes that you see in that opening ceremony are the importance of nature to Brazil, the importance of modernity, and the idea of peaceful inclusion of a diverse population. And what I argue in this early chapter in the book is that these are all relatively recent creations, these themes. Nature, for example, was a theme of 19th century romantic writers in Brazil who were proto-nationalists, if you like. Modernity was a theme of modernist writers and artists and architects and urban planners, as well as positivist military officers in the early and mid-20th century. And peaceful inclusion was an image created in part by diplomats and social scientists in the early 20th century. And I argue in the historical chapters in the book that Brazil had been quite fragmented and loosely governed until about the 20th century when the country's preeminent political figure, Getulio Vargas, promoted national integration and strengthened the central state. And I think another thing worth pointing out about these themes, these national themes that you can see in the Olympic Games opening ceremony, is that they're ambiguous. I mean by that that they're a source of pride for Brazilians and they distinguish Brazil, but they also raise question marks about where the nation is going. So if you look at nature, for example, it's true that Brazil has a vast array of diversity, biodiversity, probably the most biodiverse country in the world. It has the second largest forest cover of any country in the world after Russia, and something like two-thirds, almost two-thirds of its original forest cover is still intact. But historically, the country has engaged in quite predatory forms of development. So over the centuries, it destroyed most of the Atlantic rainforest. It has destroyed almost 20% of the part of the Amazon rainforest, the largest tropical rainforest in the world that is in Brazil. Now, although deforestation fell by about 80% between 2004 and 2012, the rate has started to go up again. And so this raises the question of whether Brazil can preserve its natural inheritance. And this is more important than ever because people realize the importance of the Amazon rainforest in mitigating climate change. When it comes to modernity, Brazil has a growing scientific community 
It uh, ranks about 13th in terms of publishing scientific articles, and it has two laboratories working on the coronavirus vaccine right now, one in Sao Paulo, one in Rio. But there's also a question there of whether Brazil can harness this scientific research and innovate whether it can commercialize these scientific insights. And if you look at its most important trade relationship, which is now China, went from almost nothing 20 years ago to its most important trade partner, it's mostly exporting agricultural and mineral products to China, soy and meat, iron ore. And this is a worry, whether Brazil can hang on to its manufacturing capacity. And then finally, peaceful inclusion is a, an aspiration of the country. It's a remarkably peaceful regional power Brazil has relatively good relations with its 10 South American neighbors, with the exception of Venezuela, and it uses its military capacity largely defensively. But internally, the country has a high rate of violence. So there were almost 60,000 homicides in 2019, and most of the victims of this violence are non-white Brazilians. So about 75% of the victims of these killings are black and brown Brazilians when they're only just over half of the population. So there's a question here of how this violence can be reduced and how this racial inequality can be reduced. And many people argue that this inequality is a legacy of slavery. In Brazil, the 19th century, the country was the largest slave-owning society in the world, and slavery was only abolished in 1888. So you might wonder how I got interested in this topic. My mother was Welsh, and I got to know her heritage somewhat because I grew up off and on in Britain. In my father's case, he was an American whose father was a Portuguese immigrant. And my grandfather died before I got to know him, died before I was born. But I was intrigued by my father's stories about his father. And I knew that part of his family had emigrated to Brazil. And Brazil was the jewel in the crown of the Portuguese-speaking world, if you like. So when I went to graduate school, I was lucky enough to get a grant to research environmental policy in Brazil. And I went for the first time and became fascinated and kept going back. So in terms of what I hope people take away from modern Brazil, there are two historical chapters and three chapters about contemporary Brazil. And the historical chapters, I think, are important background. And they talk about the Getulio Vargas governments, most of which were dictatorial, that spanned the 1930s to the mid-1950s, and then the military regime of 1964 to 1985. And as I mentioned before, the Vargas governments pulled power upwards into the central state and transformed what had been a fairly loosely connected set of agrarian provinces, the main export was coffee, into an urbanizing and industrializing country, which we would nowadays call an emerging market country. And they did this under the banner of developmental nationalism. The military regime, which was created by political enemies of Getulio Vargas, in a way built on his legacy by maintaining a form of developmental nationalism and furthering national integration. And both of these sets of governments had a repressive side. They engaged in selective torture and killings of political enemies. And there was an important truth commission established in 2012, which produced a report in 2014 about the torture, disappearances and killings carried out by the military regime of 1964 to 1985. The heart of my book, though, is an analysis of the economic, political and foreign policy challenges of Brazil. And in the chapter on the economy, I argue that Brazil has been somewhat stuck. 
it's a middle-income country that would like to become a high-income country, but it has a lot of barriers to becoming a high-income country, including a very high degree of economic inequality, a complicated and regressive tax system, and a kind of policy schizophrenia in which it tends to oscillate between a newer version of national developmentalism from what existed under Vargas and the military dictatorship, in which it wants to use the state to implement industrial policy, move the economy into higher forms of production, you see this in the digital sector, in biotech and petrochemicals and so on. But on the other hand, it also has liberal impulses, neoliberal impulses, represented by the government in power right now, in which it wants to impose competitiveness shock on the economy. And I think the problem for the economy is that neither of these models is implemented with a great deal of rigor or conviction. When it comes to developmentalism, the state isn't really insulated from private business interests, and it tends to get captured by large companies. And we saw this in the Petrolau corruption scandal uncovered by the car wash anti-corruption investigation. And when it comes to neoliberalism, I think the appetite isn't really there, even amongst members of the business community, which has become accustomed to nurturing contacts in the government. And so you, you have a kind of hybrid model. Brazil muddles along in its economic policy with a system that neither developmentalists nor liberals really like, and that doesn't produce the growth that you see in other middle-income countries. So I think in economic policy, that's the challenge that I identified for Brazil of resolving that tension between those two very different prescriptions for revitalizing the Brazilian economy. And we will see after, in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, what sort of choices policymakers make. In politics, I think there's a real issue of where Brazilian democracy goes from here. It has a democracy that is now over 30 years old. It's survived longer than the military dictatorship that it succeeded. But it has, there are warning signs of dysfunction when it comes to the democracy. So you have very low levels of trust in institutions and in political parties. You have a very complicated system of representation with 30 political parties in Congress. That's probably the most multi-party system of any large democracy in the world. And you have polarization between a new hard right and a left, which hasn't changed as much, I don't think, as the new, as the new right. And you have a president now who was elected in 2018, who often sounds like an authoritarian, someone who praises the military dictatorship, who says that he's in favor of, of torture, who threatens to close down other institutions, other established constitutional institutions. And I think the question is, will this political trend continue or might there be a countervailing force to it? And I think in the 2020 municipal elections, you saw evidence that there is a search amongst the electorate for governance that produces solutions to problems such as the coronavirus, such as the economic challenges that countries face. And you may have a very different situation in the presidential election of 2022 than you did in 2018. You might have alternatives to the current government. And finally, when it comes to foreign policy, I argue that Brazil's diplomatic traditions and foreign policy traditions have made a real mark in the world. If you look at environmental policy, for example, you'll see how Rio hosted the 1992 ECHO conference that led to the Kyoto protocols and then the Paris Agreement at 2015 and COP21. And Brazil has also played an important role in UN peacekeeping. It's been a force for moderation in international relations and for international law and for negotiations. But in many ways, the current government of Brazil has turned its back on this tradition and it has alienated key partners. 
So it seems to have alienated the incoming Biden administration in the United States. It seems to have alienated France and much of the rest of the European Union. And it's even to some extent alienated China, which is its most important trading partner. So I argue that the challenge in foreign policy is to reset that overturning of the tradition that happened at the beginning of 2019 with the new government coming in and to reset in a direction that recaptures some of those traditions. I think what Brazilian foreign policy has sometimes appeared to outsiders to be doing is articulating a vision of the world which is largely one of religious nationalism. And I think that puts Brazil in an awkward company, shall we say. So I hope that some of you will enjoy reading Modern Brazil. I hope to receive comments from people about what they think of my analysis. And thank you for listening to this podcast. 